Thanks for joining us today for the Ramp Church podcast. We pray that you will be encouraged and empowered by this week's message and you would encounter God wherever you're listening from. If you'd like to know more about Ramp Church Manchester or would like to partner with us in giving, visit us over on our website ramp.church/mcr or find us on social media. Now, let's go into this week's message. Right. It's good to see you on this Palm Sunday. We're going to jump right into the Word tonight by going to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. You know, each of the gospel writers all talk about the story of Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is the day we commemorate Jesus riding into Jerusalem where multitudes surround him and celebrate him as king. And so we're going to look at a few of those uh, details, and though we could go to Matthew or Luke or John to look at the story, we're going to focus on Mark's story, especially tonight, because it's going to highlight a feature of Palm Sunday that we don't often think about when we think about this day within the Easter season. So Mark chapter 11, starting in verse number 1. Now when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he, this is Jesus, Jesus sent two of his disciples, and he said to them, go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it here. So they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, what are you doing loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded. So they let them go and they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it and he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus went into Jerusalem. Notice this. Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. He comes in Jerusalem, goes into the temple, looks around. But it's late in the day, so then he exits Jerusalem and goes back to Bethany. Now let's go skip down to verse number 15. This is now the next morning, and they're coming back to Jerusalem from Bethany. Verse 15, so they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Then he taught, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves? And the scribes and chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people were astonished at his teaching. When evening had come, he went out of the city." Tonight, I want to talk to you through the events of Palm Sunday about the way in which God works in our lives. Because God works in our lives not just in one-dimensional ways. Here in this story, what we see is God working in the temple both through an instantaneous moment 
and through an incremental process. And I wanna tell you the work of God in your life is both instantaneous and incremental. Instantaneous and incremental. There is an instantaneous salvation that happens when you believe in Jesus, but then there's an incremental process of growth that we call discipleship, and both of them are necessary in order for you to become the person that God has called you to be. Years ago at the ramp in Hamilton, Alabama, Pastor Joe Reeser taught on Palm Sunday from this passage, and he emphasized how Jesus went into the temple and took assessment, then he left the temple and thought about what he saw there. And then the next day he comes in and starts driving out of the temple everything that should not be there. And he pointed out the fact that Jesus driving out those in the temple who weren't supposed to be there, that was not just a random act of fury. Like sometimes when we think about Jesus driving out the money changers, we think that it just happened in a moment. Like Jesus walked in, saw some stuff that was happening that shouldn't have been there, and he just loses control of himself and starts flipping over tables, grabs a whip from the corner, and just starts kicking people out of the temple. That's not how it happened. He walked in, took assessment, went back and had a sleep, came back the next day and then intentionally began to deal with what was going on in the temple that should not have been there. In other words, in a moment, he walks in as king. But in order to clean up the temple, it's a process of intentionality. And this kind of separation of Palm Sunday and the cleansing of the temple in the life of Jesus is honestly kind of uncharacteristic for Mark. The gospel writer Mark is typically the quickest paced gospel writer. Like Matthew is not quick paced at all. And I actually like that about Matthew. Like you finally get to the book of Matthew, the beginning of the New Testament, and he starts with a genealogy. The book of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham. And he goes through the whole thing from Abraham all the way to Jesus. And when he gets done, just in case you missed it, he makes sure you realize there were 14 generations from Abraham to David. 14. See, you're getting annoyed with my pace right now. That's what it feels like to read Matthew. 14 generations from, you know, he goes through and he takes his time to tell the story. Luke for sure is not in a hurry telling the story of Jesus. He actually, at the beginning of his gospel, prides himself over including details that other people don't include. He's like, hey guys, other people wrote down the story of Jesus, but I'm gonna sit down an orderly account of what happened in his life. John, I don't know what to say about John. He's just kind of everywhere. Like, he's not worried about chronology. He's not worried about sequential order. He's just like, in the beginning, let me, let me break off some revelation about Jesus. And he just kind of throws it all out there, and you just got to kind of pick up the pieces and figure out what's going on. But Mark is, like, interested in pace. Mark uses the word immediately over and over again in his gospel. It's like he's tired of waiting for, like, us to know the story of Jesus because we've been waiting since Malachi, it's been 400 years, and he opens up his book like this. The beginning of the gospel of the Son of God. John, Jesus, immediately, temptation, wilderness, miracles, outbreak, revival, kingdom. And his is the shortest book as well, it's the most condensed, because his pace is quite 
fast. So it's actually pretty uncharacteristic for Mark to slow down and point out the fact that it was two different days from when Jesus entered as king and when he cleansed the temple as king. No other gospel writer separates it like that. Matthew and Luke both connect the cleansing of the temple with Palm Sunday, but when you read their account, you get the idea it was all the same day. Mark is the only one that separates the days. And I think what Mark is doing and he, is he's following the pattern of what Malachi said about Jesus coming into the city. Because when Malachi prophesies this in Malachi chapter 3 verses 1 and 2, Malachi communicates both an instantaneous moment and an incremental process. Here's what Malachi says. Malachi chapter 3 verses 1 and 2. He separates the, the, the entrance from the process of cleansing. Here's what he says. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly, say suddenly, will suddenly come to his temple. He's communicating the instantaneous moment of the arrival of Jesus on Palm Sunday. Uh, Palm Sunday. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Verse two now communicates the process of what he does when he shows up. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a launderer's soap. To be refined by fire is not an instantaneous process. There are layers and there are levels and there is heat and there is an increase of heat and there's a scraping away and a taking away of impurities and then you turn up the refiner's fire even more. So Malachi is communicating. He comes in suddenly as king, but his work of purity is a process where he keeps turning up the intensity level in your life. And I wanna let you know that if you are going to grow in your relationship with God. Yes, there is an instantaneous moment of salvation where you go from darkness to light, but there's also an incremental process of discipleship where you embrace the slow work of God as he refines you, as he, as he begins to adjust things in your life and drive things out of your temple that should not be there. You see, when we read about Jesus coming into the temple, we're reading about Jesus coming into our lives because John talks about the temple not just as a building but as a body. And he talks about the temple as your body. St. Paul says that as well, talks about your body as a temple. He says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? So when we read about Jesus coming into the temple, we're reading about Jesus coming into our lives. In a moment, he comes in as king, that's salvation. But through a process, he begins to take assessment and drive out everything from our lives that should not be there. Everything that grieves his heart. Let me look at one other moment where we see both an instantaneous encounter and an incremental process through the ministry of Jesus. Let's go to Matthew chapter eight. It's a, just kind of a short little moment, just a few verses here, four verses, but it introduces us to a really interesting world of the way in which Jesus works. Because Jesus performs a miracle and gives 
a very odd commandment after he performs the miracle. Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. And this is really where we're going to focus for the rest of the evening. Matthew 8, 1 through 4. When he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I'm so glad the leper didn't wait to be clean before he worshipped. If you're waiting to be clean before you worship, you may never become clean. Because it's in the place of surrender to his lordship that miracles begin to happen in your life. So maybe you're here tonight and you're like, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough. People don't like me. And I don't deserve to be in the presence of a holy God. Listen, you find a way to surrender your heart to him in adoration. And as you do, he begins to work miracles in your life. So this leper comes in the midst of a multitude. He didn't belong there, but he came in the midst of the multitude anyway. He worships Jesus. He says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Verse three, then Jesus put out his hand and touched him saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. Now, usually we stop right there in the story. But there's one more step that happens in this man's life. And again, in verses one through three, we read about the instantaneous encounter. The suddenly moment where Jesus comes in as king, right? There is healing in the man's life. There is salvation in the man's life. But consider verse four. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one, but go your way and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Jesus commanded as a testimony to them. Okay, this is weird. He heals the man, and he says, go show yourself to the priest and offer the, the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now, when Jesus says to the leper, go and offer the gift that Moses commanded, he is referencing Leviticus chapter 13 and 14 because there were specific instructions regarding lepers. So when he tells the man, go and offer the gift, it's not a one-time gift. It's not a one-time sacrifice that Jesus commands the man, the leper, to bring to the priest. It is actually a process of purification. So what Jesus is doing is this. He's saying, I have healed you. Now go submit yourself to a process. I've changed you. Now go and embrace spiritual leadership so that what you've received from me isn't lost. So what I want to do is I want to talk about five different things that happened when the leper submitted himself to the process of purity, the incremental process of discipleship, an instantaneous moment of salvation, but then an incremental process of discipleship. All right. Again, it's important for us to look at this because we so value instantaneous moments that we forget that God is also into process, incremental process. What's the first thing that happened? Number one, the leper was reassimilated back into community. The leper was reassimilated back into community. You see, when you were a leper, according to Leviticus 13 and 14, you weren't allowed to dwell with the rest of the community. You had to dwell in isolation. Now, sometimes we look at that and say, man, God was harsh in the Old Testament. I actually talked to a friend of mine who's a medical doctor, 
And his perspective on the book of Leviticus really helped me to realize that Leviticus is not about God being hard to please. It's about God pastoring his people. I was out with uh, this friend of mine. We were out playing tennis one day. His name is Dr. Boyette. And he looked at me and he said, you know, I just got done reading the book of Leviticus. And I'm thinking like, wow, like why? You know, <laughs> who does that? You know, he said, I just got done reading the book of Leviticus. He says, I was amazed at how much medical care God provided for his people. And I thought, I was like, medical care? He said, yeah, you know, when they were sick, God would tell them what to do. He would quarantine them. The priest had to go inspect. And I realized that by declaring someone unclean and requiring them to live in isolation, it was not harshness toward that individual. It was, we just talked about lockdown. It was a way of caring for the community. It was a quarantine process. And God, in all of those rules that seemed so random, was God pastoring his people and preserving his people before they had modern medicine in order to care for one another. And so it was an amazing perspective of the book of Leviticus. Wow. So when you had leprosy, you were proclaimed unclean. You were not proclaimed unholy. That's a difference. It was not rejection based on moral corruption. It was actually, let's protect you while you're dealing with this issue and let's protect the community so it doesn't spread. So in order for you to be a leper meant you were proclaimed unclean and you were isolated from the community. If your leprosy was healed, God provided a clear path for you to reassimilate into the community. And that was to go submit yourself to the priest so they could check you out thoroughly and then reintegrate you back into the community so you could reintegrate back in and everyone knew you went through the process. We can now embrace you without fear. So when Jesus said, go submit yourself to the priest, here's what he's saying. I'm glad you've had the encounter, but I don't want you to live in isolation after the encounter. I want you to go get plugged right back in to the community that your issue separated you from. When you say yes to a process of discipleship, it is God reassimilating you back into a family. That's what Pastor Joe said a moment ago. It's not just that God saves your soul for eternity. God puts the lonely in family. And part of discipleship is learning how to have healthy relationships again. It's learning how to reorient your life around kingdom community. Because I don't know about you, the kind of community I had when I was not serving God was built on something other than life. It was built on things that destroyed us together. That's why, did you know there's a sense of community in sin? That's why the Bible says they have together become corrupt. Because there is, there's a community element to sin that keeps you in sin because sometimes you're afraid to leave the community. Because you're afraid to lose the community, sometimes you're hesitant to leave the sin. But what you need to know is if you'll say yes to Jesus, there will be a momentary loneliness because you're pulled out of sin. But if, so, but if you'll say yes to discipleship, all of a sudden that loneliness will be remedied because you'll be assimilated into a new community with new values. So when Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest, he's not just saying, go give a random offering and then move on about your life. He's saying to the man, I don't want you to be isolated even if you've been saved. I want you to not just have the encounter, I want you assimilated into a family. I want you in community. So that's the first thing that happened when he said yes to the process of discipleship. What's the second thing that happened? 
His willingness to embrace a process did this. Number two, it was a testimony of his transformation. Jesus said, offer the gift as a testimony to them. Sometimes we think that if we have to embrace a process, it's a sign that we're not truly free. When really our willingness to embrace a process communicates the level of our freedom because it communicates our heart has now changed regarding that thing. When we're not willing to embrace a process, when we're not willing to embrace, embrace accountability, when we're not willing to embrace community, it's a sign that we still love the thing that God wants to set us free from. It's a sign that we still want to protect the things in our temple that Jesus wants to drive out. That's why Jesus said this in John chapter three. He says, this is the condemnation of the world. It's that light came into the world and men were lovers of darkness more than lovers of light because their deeds were evil. In other words, as long as we're hiding what we're doing, it's a sign that we still love what we're doing. But when we expose what we're doing, Bring it into the light and say, I am willing to submit myself to a process of discipleship. It is a testimony that Jesus has already changed us. Even if there are behavioral things, even if there are habitual things that are still being worked out, the fact that we're willing to submit to a process is a testimony that transformation has already taken place on a heart level. So when Jesus tells the man, go and, um, go and submit yourself to the process of the priest, the leper could have objected, but could have, could have objected by saying, but Jesus, I'm free. I know, and the process is a sign of your freedom. For you to embrace a process is not anti-encounter. It is the result of encounter. For you to embrace accountability is not anti-instantaneous. It is the result of instantaneous. In a moment, Jesus will change your heart regarding your sin, and then that will catapult you into a process of growing into the person God has called you to be. So Jesus said, go and take this gift as a testimony to them. Embracing a process is a testimony that God has actually changed your heart. That's the second thing that happened. It's a testimony of the encounter. What's the third thing that happened in the man or around the man concerning this process of discipleship. Number three, it kept him grounded in the blood of Jesus. Kept him grounded in the blood of Jesus. Now, that may seem odd because you're like, wait a minute, this is pre-cross. How did it keep him grounded in the blood of Jesus? I'll get there in just a moment as we consider some details from Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 14 in the process of the priest that they, they led lepers through in their purity. <clears throat> Here's how it keeps you grounded in the blood. Again, I'll get there in just a moment, but let me say it like this. When you fight issues in isolation, there tends to be an element of self-righteousness if you start to overcome because you feel as though you're doing well in your own strength. But when you deal with issues in the context of community, it keeps the blood before you. Why? Just like in worship tonight, just like in prayer, when you are frequently in attendance in a gathered space, we are singing songs about the blood. We're preaching messages about the blood. We are praying together, talking about the blood of Jesus. And there is something about the corporate witness of the church that compels us to always look at the cross. 
Furthermore, when you're willing to, like, like the leper, when you're willing to worship even before you feel clean, it's a sign that your worship is not a result of your personal cleansing. Your worship is a result of what he provided for you on the cross. And submitting to the process of discipleship keeps all of that in front of you. When leaders are in your life, when healthy spiritual leaders are in your life, it's not a self-discipline program that causes you to move forward. It is an emphasis on the gospel of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the work of God, and there's a perpetual call back to what God has provided through his son. Now, when you look at the life of the man, of the leper, and he goes to the priest, how did that moment keep him grounded in the blood of Jesus? Well, there's some things that happened in the process of purity for the leper that was pointing to the cross, and I'm sure after the cross would point back to it. The gift that the leper had to bring was two birds, but not just two birds. The leper had to, this is all Leviticus, Leviticus 14, the leper had to bring two birds, a piece of cedar wood, a thread of scarlet, and a hyssop branch. Now, we already see the cross embodied in those gifts. The cedar wood is pointing to the cross. The scarlet thread is the story of salvation told through the blood of Jesus from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. And the hyssop is what, we use, is what was used at Passover to take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost. So we're already seeing echoes of the cross there. But why did he bring two birds? Because when the leper brought these gifts to the priest, one bird they would hold over running water because it's out of the overflow of the word of God, the life of God, that this sacrifice is given. They would take the bird, hold it over running water. They would kill the bird. Then they would take the other bird and hold it under the dead bird and let the dead bird's blood run all over the live bird. Then they would take the live bird out into a field and set it free. And the image is this, because one bird died, another bird could go free. Because the blood of one bird was shed on a cross with a scarlet thread and the hyssop branch applied it to the life. Because the blood of one was shed, the life of the other could go free. So when the leper brings the gifts into the temple to the priest, he is grounded in the work of Jesus that is coming, that on the cross, the blood of one man would be shed for the lives of all men. And we have to remember that our process of purity is not found in our own strength. We become pure because we are bathed in the blood of another. It is the blood of Jesus that sets us free. And it is by the power of that blood that we are able to fly into heights that we could not get on our own. So two birds into the temple, one died, one was set free because it was bathed in the blood of the one that died. So when you say yes to a process of discipleship, again, discipleship and salvation are not antagonistic with each other. It's not like either you believe in like a power of salvation or you believe in a process of discipleship. The power of salvation leads to a process of discipleship and a process of discipleship grounds you in the power of salvation. And the two feed each other over and over and over again. So when the leper brought the gift to the priest, what happened is the way in which the priest would have led the leper grounded him into the reality of what Jesus was going to do on the cross. So that was the third thing that happened. He was grounded in the power 
of the blood of Jesus. What's the fourth thing that happened as the man said yes to the process of discipleship? The fourth thing that happened is that not only did that other stuff, not only was that other stuff accomplished, but number four, he was equipped for purpose. When the leper said yes to the process of discipleship, the process of purity, number four, he was equipped for purpose. How do we know that he was equipped for purpose? Because after you come in as a leper in order to be purified, yes, you bring in the two birds. Yes, that one is killed. Yes, one is bathed in blood. Yes, one is set free. Yes, it's done with the cedar plank. Yes, it's done with the running water. Yes, it's done with the you know, scarlet thread. Yes, it's done with the hyssop branch. Yes, all of that does happen, certainly. But then the priest does one more thing that was quite peculiar. He would take the blood of a lamb, then he would take anointing oil, and in Leviticus, Leviticus 14, he would anoint the right ear, the right thumb, and the right toe of the leper. Now, if you're familiar with the way in which the priests were consecrated, you've heard that before. There's actually only one other time in Scripture where someone is anointed with their right ear, their right thumb, and their right big toe. And that was Aaron and his sons in Exodus chapter 29. In order to be consecrated as priests, they went through a process of purity. Then their right ear, their right thumb, and their right toe was anointed, was cleansed by blood, and anointed by oil. So my question is, why is the leper being cleansed and anointed and consecrated like the priest? Because it's an indicator of what God does in us through the process of discipleship. Discipleship is not just about cleansing from your past. It's about preparation and activation for your future so that your ear learns how to be consecrated to hear the voice of God. Your hands learn how to be consecrated to engage in the works of God and your feet get consecrated to know how to walk with God. You need to say yes to a process of discipleship because God is interested in using you beyond simply saving you. Yes, he wants to save you, but he also wants to activate you and catapult you into his kingdom agenda and what he's doing on the earth. But you never step into that full activation and empowerment if you don't say yes to the process of discipleship. His encounter led to not just his cleansing in the temple, it led to his consecration in the temple so he could be used in the New Testament reality as a kingdom of priests. So often we think of priests only as the elite in God's kingdom, in God's world. But the Bible teaches us that in the new covenant with, that, that God has given us through Jesus Christ, we are not a body with a few priests. We are a kingdom of priests. In other words, all of us are called to some type of role of leadership within God's kingdom where God is using us to lead others to his heart. We are a kingdom of priests. We were all previously lepers. We all previously had flesh issues that were eating us alive. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So the process of purity for the lepers is an indicator of how God deals with all of humanity. He cleanses them, but then he anoints them and consecrates them to use them. That was the fourth thing that happened. 
The fifth thing that happened is this. The leper's actions were held in accountability. There was a new level of accountability for him. How do we know that? Well, when the leper came in to the priest, the priest would look at the skin where there was previously the leprous sore. He would tell him, shave your beard, shave your mustache, shave your head, shave your eyebrows. Why? We just want to make sure there's no residue of what you used to carry. And so he would do that. Not, he wouldn't live that way. There was just the initial shaving off. Listen, that's why you got to be sensitive to the voice of God. When you say yes to God, he's going to start telling you to cut things away that don't look like they're a big deal. He's just making sure there's no more residue of what you used to carry. So they had to shave off all this stuff, shave their head, shave their beard, shave their mustache, shave their eyebrows. Everything had to go. Why? Because they were taking care of any lingering infection that could bring back what God delivered them from. So he had to do that, but it wasn't just all of that. The priest would also look at all of his garments. He would look at his garments and say, let's make sure there's no stains here where the sore is, has now, the infection has moved to your garments. Now, when we get to Revelation chapter 19, verse number eight, the Bible talks about the prophetic meaning of the garments because it talks about the bride of Christ descending from heaven. It says she's clothed in white, and it says, and the white linen are the deeds of the saints. The garments in scripture prophetically interpreted are our actions, our deeds. It's what we're clothed in. It's what we do. So when the leper came to the priest, and brought the offering. He didn't just let the priest kill the bird and set the one bird free. He didn't just shave his head, eyebrows, mustache, and beard. He didn't just go through that process of assimilation back into community. What did he do? He allowed the priest to examine his garments and say, I've got to look at your actions. I've got to look at your deeds. I'm going to check out what you're doing. Why? Because I want to, I want to hold you accountable. Listen to this. I want to hold you accountable to the encounter you've had. And I want to make sure there's nothing about your actions that are reflecting the you before you met Jesus. Can I just talk to you real honestly for a second? Discipleship sometimes is a very uncomfortable process because you have to allow peers and leaders to challenge actions that do not belong in the new you. You have to allow leaders and peers to say, listen, I know that previously that was never a big deal to you, but that doesn't fit in the new reality of who you are. That, that, doesn't, that value, that action, that doesn't line up with who God's called you to be. Like, like, I know that was not a big deal before, but you've had an encounter and Jesus is in your life as king. And if Jesus is in your life as king, he's not here just for a moment. He's here for the incremental process to drive everything out of your life that grieves his heart. That's what happened on Palm Sunday. In a moment, he comes in as king, but then he begins to drive out everything that does not belong under his dominion in the temple. How does that happen? Just like it did in Matthew chapter eight. We embrace the encounter, and then we submit ourselves to discipleship. And we say, Lord, Hold us accountable to the encounter so we can sustain the transformation that's taken place. Many of, you are, many of you have heard my own testimony about walking through a very dark season of, 
addiction to pornography, uh, just a, a depression, suicidal thoughts, all of those things. Well, what's interesting about my story is before what I would call like the final moment of encounter, that afterwards there was sustained transformation, there were other encounters before the final moment of encounter. Like I grew up in a, in a church that was healthy, cultivated, an atmosphere of God's presence. So I was not unfamiliar with the presence of God. So why were, why, what happened in me that caused those final encounters to be sustained encounters? What happened is this. After some of those final encounters, I then stepped into a community of accountability where I learned how to not just experience the presence of God, but I learned how to walk with God. And it was by being in a community of accountability and learning to walk with God that those encounters were sustained beyond an emotional couple of weeks. And many of us have learned the rhythm of having encounters a good couple of weeks and then sexual sin or previous addictions pull us back into a need for a fresh encounter to have a good couple of weeks, and then a couple of weeks later, we're pulled back in, we're ensnared by temptation. What's the answer? The answer is after the encounter, plug into a process of discipleship. Not because the encounter wasn't real, but because it was real. And when you embrace the process, it's a testimony that your heart has changed, and God can work in you in a deeper level.